0: Step inside my walk-in robe and let your imagination run wild, listening to Busting the Pack. This podcast is proudly sponsored by the WA Magpies Collingwood Supporters Group. Your place to share your personal black and white stories as a Pies supporter, and more generally, the stories about not giving up or having a passion project in life that might inspire others. We want you to feel a sense of ownership in this platform and welcome any contributions and suggestions by emailing bustingthepack at gmail.com. Each Busting the Pack episode is released via the WA Magpies Facebook and web pages. In this week's episode, I chat with a loyal and passionate Collingwood supporter who is related to brothers that were recently inducted into the Collingwood Hall of Fame as members of the Machine Era in the 1920s. WA Magpies sponsored player, Trey Ruscoe, has some words of wisdom. I propose an Olympic demonstration sport we can all relate to. And... There are entry details for a best story competition called Eyes on the Prize with prizes of $50 gift vouchers kindly donated by gym Services. On with the show. My next law and passionate Collingwood supporter guest is related to a famous surname from the machine era because of the organised and consistent way they played. During this 15-year period between 1925 and 1940, the Pies dominated and played in 11 grand finals and won six premierships. This was also when they won four premierships in a row between 1927 and 1930, a feat which has yet to be replicated. And in 1929, they finished the season undefeated Brothers Len and Frank both feature on cigarette cards in 1933 and are now immortalised when they were inducted into the Collingwoods Hall of Fame in 2016. She is the granddaughter of these famous sons. Welcome to the podcast, Alicia Murphy.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. How old were you when you first made known of your famous relatives, Frank and Len? being a part of the machine era. And what was your reaction?
1: Um, I probably first knew when I was a child, my dad took, his dad, so my granddad is Frank Murphy, took him over to Melbourne to visit Collingwood and I think um, have some interviews. And they brought me back this little Collingwood toy. It was a Collingwood clown. Um, (laughs) So that was when I was about three or so. But I probably really got into football when I was about year eight, I was year seven, year eight, kind of just getting into high school. And uh, my first Collingwood game I went to would have been, I think, 1994. Yeah. And I think it was uh, Tony Shaw's last game. Oh, okay. Over here.
0: Yeah. So the eldest brother, Frank, made his debut in 1925, enduring two grand final losses in 1925 and 1925. 19- and 1926 before playing in the 1927 to 1930 dynasty, winning the four premierships. With Len winning a premiership on debut in 1928 and his first three years in the black and white netting three premierships, who do you think would have had bragging rights in the sibling rivalry department?
1: I don't know because they both had such similar success. Um, no. Len could have had the opportunity to play in more Premierships, yep. because Collingwood made some grand finals in the 30s, but unfortunately he missed 35 because he was injured. Mm-hmm. He missed the grand final in 1936 because he was suspended, and apparently in 37 he was named but remained on the bench for the whole time. So um, I think I'd be pretty disappointed in my team making it three times and missing out on that. So I guess at least Frank didn't have those same disappointments.
0: And I guess the nice touch I was also uh, learning when, um, when researching was, obviously, the younger brother wanted to play you know, with, with the older brother you know, so badly, mm. um, which I thought was a nice touch. So other brothers featured in the Machine era too. There were the Collier boys, Albert and Harry, and the Coventry boys, Sid and Gordon, with the leading goal-kicker trophy for Collingwood named after Gordon. Did the Murphy brothers ever talk about what it was like to play with these other brothers in such a successful period?
1: I don't have personal knowledge of um, their relationship with the with the Colliers. I do know that he would have worked closely with Gordon Coventry because my granddad, Frank, was a centre-half forward. Um, and in one of my, my many Collingwood history books, there's a quote from Gordon Coventry saying he wouldn't have got as many goals as he did had he not had Frank giving him such direct, excellent passes. So he kind of credited Frank for uh, some of the many goals that he got.
0: Yes, he was known to have exquisite skills on both sides of the body. So speaking of domination, according to Eddie Maguire at the 2016 Hall of Fame dinner, where both the Murphy brothers were uh, recognised posthumously, Frank Murphy kicked an incredible 121 goals and a solitary point for his career, which equates to over 99% conversion rate. Do you think he would have rude that missed shot that denied him the perfect score sheet, which he kicked in his debut year?
1: I don't know, I suppose it's a little blemish, but um, tell you what, I wouldn't be too worried about it if we had a a full forward nowadays or any goal kicker that could have a 99% conversion rate. I'd be pretty pleased with that nowadays.
0: Well, these days you take you know a fifty yeah. percent <laughs> conversion rate when it comes to some of the um, goal kicking mm. it would have been good back in that day if we had had the technology to analyse back then. Like where were where were those goals being kicked from?
1: Yeah, and then probably more the key position players as well.
0: And obviously, also with the tri- traditional forwards, once they came down there, there wasn't this obviously flooding and these kind of tactics mm. now that. Is, you know is the modern game
1: and I no. imagine they wouldn't have run ten kilometres in a game as well like some of them do nowadays
0: <laughs> you wouldn't get a Tony Lockett running a 10 K's would you back going up and down the field um, did Frank and Frankenland ever mention that they had their profile pictures on cigarette cards in 1933
1: no um, I I think there's quite a few actually from from different years um, yeah there would I've found a few There's a lovely shop, which is unfortunately currently shutting down, um, on Smith Street in Collingwood, which is actually an increasingly kind of trendy area. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's this memorabilia shop. And then every time I go to Melbourne, which is usually at least once a year before COVID, um, I'd always rifle through there and find these little cigarette cards and bring them back for, for myself and for my family. So it's quite sweet finding this old memorabilia from such a long, you know, we're talking almost 100 years ago.
0: Absolutely, So it's yeah. quite
1: sweet that you can go into a shop yeah. and still dig them up.
0: And it's a very important point you make. You know, this this is like getting near the almost 100-year mm. anniversary of this, um, well, of the four in a row. Um, it's, it's getting close, that's for sure. And it's good to have someone like yourself who's got that, you know, kind of, family history. Yeah.
1: It's like living, to, living history, living memory.
0: Yeah. And to share with the audience and I hope you know, they really get something out of it. And, and who knows, there might be other people out there that, that know other members of the machine era to put forward their uh, perspectives on, on uh, knowing those players. So after uh, Frank and Len's retirements in 1935 and 1937 respectively, what did they do when it came to life after football?
1: Um, I'll talk about my great uncle first, Len. I don't know, obviously don't know much about him and I've never met him. Um, He would have stayed in Melbourne. I know he played a couple of seasons for Footscray. Um, I know that he was a keen tennis player all his life because when my granddad died, granddad was 90 and Len was about, I think 85, and Len couldn't come over for the funeral because he'd broken his arm playing tennis. So oh. he was still playing tennis in his mid-80s. Wow. Um, which is pretty cool. And I know he had a yes, son. Some
0: something to aspire to. Yeah. He had yeah. a son
1: called Kevin. Mm. And I looked up um, Kevin Murphy. He was a drummer. And he okay. used to play with some really famous Australian bands yep. back in the day, 60s and 70s, including Chain and Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs, uh, which is a bit of Australian kind of music folklore. Um, yeah. So that's pretty cool. My granddad is Frank and... He moved over to wa um, in 1927 collingwood actually had a trip and for some of those boys it was the first time out of victoria yep. they came over for eight days in 1927 right and i think mikhail kind of thought it was a really good kind of bonding experience for these young chaps mm. a lot of them loved it they thought wa was golden um, there's pictures of them on the beaches and they just had a really good time <laughs> and they'd play teams like, like a state of origin kind of team. They played a WA side in Subi and they had a little bit of a relationship with some of the waffle clubs. So in the end, Subiaco headhunted my granddad, and he came over and captain coached Subiaco in the waffle right, and okay. worked at Sandover's. Yeah. So that's, that's the, the Western Australian Connection and he stayed in WA for the rest of his life.
0: Oh, uh, interesting.
1: Which is why people always ask me, are you Victorian? Why are you West Australian? And support Collingwood. So that's why, because wow. he moved over here.
0: And that was one of my initial kind of uh, angles. Was, you know, if I had a dollar, you know, why, why do you go for Collingwood? Because mm. you live in
1: WA. I think uh, <laughs> it's like blood running thicker than water. You know, you can't just... Uh, escape these things, it's part of your DNA.
0: Yeah, it started with my dad and then it just continued from there and it's like, well, you know.
1: It's like you can choose your religion, you can choose your political affiliation, but there are some things that are more important.
0: That's right. (laughs) (laughs) The black and white army. What are your recollections when Frank and Lynn were inducted um, posthumously into the Collingwood Hall of Fame in 2016?
1: It was really lovely. I thought it was quite an honour. Um, for them to recognise players from such a long time ago. Um, Nice that it was the brothers together because they're not as famous as, you know, someone like Gordon Coventry. Um,
0: Yeah, well, this is the first time i would come across them. Yeah, and I think Um,
1: because Frank, I think he was a fairly unassuming, you know, fairly quiet kind of guy. And because he moved out of Victoria as well, perhaps he was not on the radar. So, I think when when we met Eddie, he wasn't even aware that there were some direct descendants left because he didn't, I don't think he knew about the WA connection. Um, So, it was really lovely. My parents and I went over, Mm. and also dad's sister. So, my auntie and some cousins went over. So, a little family reunion of this kind of Collingwood tribe went over for it. And it was a season launch as well. So, all the, the team kind of gets introduced and they get their Guernseys. They have speeches and Eddie Maguire did, um, did speeches for Gavin Krasiska who also got inducted and a nice presentation on Frank and Len. And then we um, we met some of the players and had a nice chat with, with Buckley and Maguire and he was really lovely. Like my dad was there showing him some old photos from back in the day and Eddie, you know, really gave everyone the time of day. Um, so it was a really nice night. It was okay. very special. And we got to, you know, see all the... All the silverware, and I've I've popped back sometimes um, to the centre, and they even let me get out a premiership cup for a photo opportunity. They're really heavy,
0: the yeah. old days
1: ones. They're really, really so heavy.
0: they they actually let you handle yeah the memorabilia, the, the premiership cups.
1: Only because I'm special. Of they won't let just anyone do that. No, definitely not.
0: <laughs> I mean, you still got a copy of the actual um, the menu, the menu on the night.
1: Oh yeah, I keep everything. <laughs> well, it wasn't just the menu, it was no, the whole program of the yeah, evening. Yeah, that was
0: a bonus. <laughs> well, it was funny because when you open up and I see what's on the menu, and it had, like, it's got all the, had all the Collingwood players, like, no, not that menu, <laughs> the food <third> one, yeah. <laughs> and it was interesting that even, like, 2016, like you said, um, I think Travis Cloak was still, that was when he was... Um, yeah,
1: and just seeing some of the... playing. The players that I met there were like Dane Swan and Alan Didak and yeah. people that are obviously long gone now. And and also Peter Dacos was there, but it's nice that we still see him on the TV nowadays there for his, for his sons, which is cool.
0: Oh, definitely, yeah. No, that is a nice touch. So recent premiers: the Brisbane Lions in 2001 to 2003 and the Hawthorne Hawks 2013 to 2015, have come close to winning four in a row, falling one short with three peats. Given there is now 18 teams in the competition and salary cap pressures, do you think this feat will ever be replicated again in the AFL?
1: To be honest, I don't think it will. Um, the the, side is, the sides are just so even, the competition is even, you know, like even this year, there's a number of teams that could get into the eight. And then there doesn't seem to be a real standout. Like Richmond obviously was in the last few years. Um, yeah, they really But no off. one seems to be really dominating long-term. Or even Bulldogs are in one year and get it, and then they're yeah. out. Obviously, Eagles haven't been amazing. Collingwood's out. So I think it's more up and down. And, you know, if you finish quite poorly on the ladder, you'll get an easier run the following year. Mm. So he's hoping Collingwood gets lots of easy games So has year. that
0: been Collingwood's um, Floyd this year? <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna,
1: get your money on it, 2022, it's all happening. Yeah, um, I mean, it. even 2018, they were 13th the year before and then they made the grand final. And the same yeah, thing happened point. with Richmond the year before. They mm. were 13th and then they yeah. made the grand final. So there's a lot of up and down now. And I think if you do finish first or second, you'll probably get, some really tough games next year. Yeah, so absolutely. until everyone plays everyone twice or yeah. once only, um, it won't be entirely even.
0: And just on that, because of COVID last year, that was the first time that that was actually um, trialed was the was just playing each team once. Mm.
1: I like it. What? I think it's more even. Otherwise, it's, I liked it too. You know, you're playing... Someone might play a really difficult team twice and then someone else plays... Kind of a bottom you know cellar dweller twice, and it's not the same. I think everyone should play everyone once or twice, and then it's yeah. even
0: and obviously you know it's it's too much for them to be expected to play um every team twice mind you the um the gains were significantly reduced mm. last year because of covid this year. There can be like nothing really going on and these bursts like they come out of nowhere mm. like. It's just really hard to sort of put your finger on uh, the modern game at times and how it's never over until, you know, there's really not enough time to get those two or three goals. Mm,
1: definitely. Um,
0: do you have any suggestions for potential candidates and advice for the direction the Pies should take when appointing their senior coach for next year?
1: Oh, I wouldn't have a clue. Um, <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice to have someone like Clarkson, someone with a track record... There's anyone who can bring some new ideas in. Mm. Um, speaking of direction, yep. kick it forward.
0: Oh, I think okay. my, my
1: granddad would have gone <laughs> nuts watching it go sideways and backwards. Um, I think he couldn't. Oh, have, he, I think he would he have been tearing have, his hair yeah. out. In fact, I think sometimes when he used to get stressed, it wasn't TV in those days, it was more listening on the radio, he'd just turn it off and go for a walk. So I think there'd be lots of games that my granddad would just. We'll just switch off yeah. now once they start going in circles. Um, and he always used to, like, just kick the ball because the ball will move faster than, mm. than a person running. So just just move it on and kick it. So um, I hope, you exactly. know, we get little glimpses of when they start playing down the corridor and moving it more quickly. And it makes it more exciting oh, it is. and gives your forwards a chance. So. And it's a
0: high-risk, high-reward. Mm. And, you know, obviously coaches hate it. They only take the corridor if it's, if it's on. Otherwise, you know, everyone feels all down in the dumps, you know, oh, because we tried to take the game on. It definitely Um,
1: makes for a more exciting spectacle when they do. Could you
0: imagine a modern-day player trying to, like, just play even, like, how they they played in the 80s or that kind of Mm. thing, you know?
1: Well, I noticed that last year when... um, Having to
0: actually stay in their position a mm, bit more.
1: When it was Anzac Day and obviously COVID was in full swing and so Channel 7 played the 1995 Anzac Day game. Which oh that was a ripper. And, and it was you know like 95,000 people or something and people turned away and it was
0: 55 and yeah. it was a
1: draw. And yeah. I found it quite exciting. There was something about it just watching this mm. maybe simpler game um umpires yeah. didn't seem to be ruining everything and just that the beauty of kicking to a forward like like Rocker and someone who can just take a mark
0: yeah. kick a goal instead of everyone just flooding down and then it's just being this yeah, you know, quagmire of, you know, it's just so scrappy. Mm. Absolutely. Um, before I close the interview, is there anything you would like to say to the audience of busting the Pack?
1: Um, just to hang on in there. I know this year's been not the best for lots of reasons. I don't think they're very far off. There's a lot of upside. There's lots of good young kids. Um, and they've not really had any huge thrashings. That is I think they'll turn it around really quickly.
0: We still haven't been beaten in... Any- by more no. than six goals. Yeah,
1: and, and two losses by a point. If a couple of things had gone differently, exactly. they'd be fighting for a spot Especially in the age. Especially
0: early in the season. Mm. That, makes a, that makes a big difference, that kind of momentum. And just on the, um, just on the future, you know, the, the green shoots, if you like, um, just on the weekend, um, Collingwood played their eighth and ninth debut on. Yeah, for the I year. think it's great. So, You know, I think that's you know, a bit of upside to the, um, I guess, a disappointing year. But hey, if we knock off eagles this weekend, it's all happy days.
1: <laughs> so yeah, just keep keep the faith.
0: So um thanks for having a chat, Alicia. No worries, Florida Pika. Thank you.
1: Hey, Trey Rusco here. You might know me from my mum's words of encouragement when I was selected to play my first game for Collingwood. She also said I should listen to the Busting the Pack podcast by the WA Magpies on their Facebook and web pages. Also, listen to your mum. Go Pies!
0: A demonstration sport we can all relate to. The sport of wrestling has always featured in the Summer Olympic Games. As far back as 708 BC, in the ancient Olympics, wrestling was included as a track and field discipline in the pentathlon event fast forward to the first modern olympics in 1896 which was held in athens and wrestling was one of the 43 events and in 1912 when sweden hosted the olympics they included glima which is traditional icelandic wrestling as the first demonstration sport where am i going with all this talk about holds and grapples i propose That thumb wrestling should have been included in the 2021 Tokyo Olympics in Japan as a demonstration sport. Now to qualify as an Olympic event in the Olympic Charter indicates that for a sport to be considered it has to be widely practiced by men in at least 75 countries and on four continents and by women in no fewer than 40 countries and on three continents. Given Japan were one of the first adopters of mobile internet technology, navigating the physical and virtual at the famous Shibayu crossing, and couple that with the global phenomenon of SMS texting when the first message was officially sent way back in 1992, The world's population has unwittingly been in training for the best part of 30 years to potentially represent their country in thumb wrestling. You might be interested to know that of the 26 sports that were shortlisted for Tokyo, 21 sports were left out of the current Olympics including chess and bridge. I understand they are both tactical games, but bridge? A card game? Come on, give me a break! What's next? Texas Hold'em poker? But I digress. A thumb wrestling match would consist of the two combatants either standing or sitting at a table, akin to arm wrestling and then locking palms in an awkward handshake pose with the thumbs up sign given the contestants would move their thumbs to the left and then to the right and say in unison one two three four i declare a thumb war the referee would then ask them to bow as a mark of respect and then announce READY. SET. FIGHT. The object of the game is to pin your opponent's thumb for a full 10 second, referees count deemed as a knockout. All those years of training thumb dancing on mobile phone keypads and screens would come to the fore as the strength and dexterity of opposable thumbs would be celebrated on the global stage. Each match would be a maximum of three three minute rounds. Should a knockout not be successful, the referee would adjudicate by a points decision who made the most pins of their opponent with sensors attached to the thumbs. In the event of a hand losing contact, the first to be adjudged to have initiated the break will be given an official warning. If that player infringes again, They would be disqualified. Thumbnails would be checked for sharpness and length. And, enacting the prerequisite that the World Anti-Doping Code must be applied to a sport, athletes would be tested for performance-enhancing drugs. Male and female weight divisions would be implemented by measuring the amount of force an athlete's thumb exerted on scales leading up to competition fastest and strongest thumbs going at it competing for the first Olympic gold medal in thumb wrestling now over to you listeners how do you think you would go as a thumb wrestler and what suggestions do you have for a future demonstration sport at the Olympics email bustingthepack at gmail.com and there will be a prize for the best submission. Join us at the Hyde Park Hotel for all Collingwood matches on the big screen and cheer for the Pies. WA Magpies members enjoy a 20% discount on food and drink. Next game is this Saturday when the Pies take on the West Coast Eagles. Bounce down is at 2.15pm. Go Pies! Are you having trouble getting that sparkle back into your pool? Jim's Pool Care can help out with any pool problem. Need it done, Jim's the one. With just one call, Jim's Pool Care mobile pool shops will respond to any pool equipment problems. We can repair or replace all leading brands of pool equipment such as pumps, chlorinators or automatic pool cleaners. So if you're thinking pools, think Jim's. Call 131546. Need it done, Jim's the or Google Jim's Pool Care and book online. Eyes on the prize. Thanks to Jim's services, they are kindly donating prizes of $50 gift vouchers for a best story competition. We want to hear your fondest memory as a passionate fan. Be creative, engaging, interesting and keep your entry to 200 words or less. So get those thinking caps on and email busting the pack at gmail.com Well until next week feathered friends always remember Passion Persistence Perspective Thanks for listening This is doctor J signing off.